Shalom. Welcome to the Christchurch Jerusalem Bible Study, where we wrestle with God's Word. For more information on the church, to listen to sermons, to contact us, or to make a gift, visit ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Shalom, brothers and sisters and friends from around the world. Here we are at Christchurch Jerusalem, and uh, we are in a Wednesday night Bible study in the middle of Easter season, Holy Week, coming up to Passover, and we're wrestling with the book of Leviticus, the holiness code, the constitution of the Jewish people as they are meant to be a light to the nations. And we're letting that word speak to us. And uh, we're in probably one of the best chapters of Leviticus period, chapter 19. And um, we'll be picking it up at verse 5 today. We managed to uh, discuss. Um, we, we talked about holiness a lot last week, and it was important for us to do so because that actually impacts our lives and the calling that, that we have to be a holy people before the Lord. All right, so Jennifer, our sister, is going to lead us in prayer. We acknowledge that the Messiah is present. He is alive. Man, that's a good thing. So Jennifer, pray us in. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity to uh, study your word with uh, sold-out believers who just trust you and dig to find out exactly what you want. We ask your blessing on our brother Aaron today. And that the rest of us, would you would open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts of understanding, that we might receive what you have for, for us from your servant today. It's in the name of Yeshua, I pray. Amen. Amen. God the King is faithful. As is our tradition, we have a short uh, page and a bit of our, our summary from last week's discussion. And this includes the notes that I've taken and... The, uh, the emails and texts that you guys send in, which I do appreciate, gets me thinking and reminds me uh, what it is we, we talked about. Okay, the, the, uh, the, the page is in the chat box. It's also online for those that are listening to the podcast. And a summary of our discussion, Leviticus 19, 1 to 4. Holiness is as much a social as it is sacrificial in the biblical mind. Holiness is a part of everyday life, and it covers every facet of our lives, from worship through to respect for the earth and the treatment of strangers. To be like God in his holiness is a biblical priority. It matters to the Lord how we live. To say otherwise demonstrates an ignorance of Scripture. And this is profound, that God wants us to be holy like him. He wants to share his holiness with us. Chapter 19 is the chiastic center of the holiness code. This is what we've been building to. This is what Leviticus has been pointing to. Many of the commandments in this chapter are repetitions of the Ten Commandments, and it's kind of something like a mini Torah. God begins telling Moses to speak to the whole assembly of Israel. Holiness is not the sole purvey of the priestly class. Aaron and his sons are not singled out to be holy. We all are. The reason for being holy is surprisingly simple, because God is. There is no negotiation, no debate. Being holy is not optional. The statement that confirms this is often repeated in the text. I am the Lord your God. The idea behind the word holy is separate or apart 
And this describes God's apartness and his uniqueness. He is separate and he is different from everything else. His mercy is unlike the mercy of others. His judgments, his grace, his forgiveness, his wrath. Leviticus is a calling, and we are called into this holiness too. And this begs the question, can we as humans possibly attain the holiness required by the Lord? The task would be impossible if not that holiness, like covenant, is participatory with two partners us and the Lord. In Leviticus 20 verse 8, God tells us that it is he who makes us holy. The walk of holiness is strengthened by the Lord himself. We are not passive in the process of holiness. We have to make choices and we have to acknowledge our obligation to walk humbly with our God. The first instruction following the command of be holy is to respect our parents, which is the fifth commandment in Exodus 20. In Exodus and Deuteronomy, the order is honor father and mother. Here in Leviticus, the word order is reversed with mother first before father. The reason for the reversal is unclear. Parents were creators in that they produced new life, mothers especially. And the act of creating new life was given a very high place in Jewish thought. So much so that Paul would reflect that women could be saved through childbirth. The responsibility to teach the instructions, the Torah, of God fell to the family. Proverbs describes the role of the noble wife to include faithful instruction is on her tongue. And this shows the high place that the woman has in the Jewish family unit. The actual verb used is to fear our parents, not in the sense of being afraid to be around them, but one of reverential awe that is attractive and healthy. Honoring parents is the command that contains a positive blessing associated to its observance of living long in the land. The command to respect parents is followed by the command to observe or guard the Sabbath, which is the fourth commandment. The Sabbath is the first thing that God called holy. The Sabbath, likewise, reflects the idea of partnership. God made the Sabbath holy, therefore it is holy, and now we keep it holy by observing it. The Sabbath was made for man, and thus somewhat the Sabbath itself aids in our walk of holiness. The Sabbath also took on a role in Messianic theology. Messiah would usher in a millennial Sabbath rest for all creation, as referenced in the epistle to the Hebrews. The third instruction is like the second commandment, to turn from idolatry. Israel had significant trouble with literal idolatry in the Hebrew Bible. In honesty, our culture continues to be played with modern-day idols. Now, the word idol is ilil, and it means literally nothing, or good for nothing, and worthless. While our modern-day idols might not be metallic constructions, the value they represent remain worthless and nothing. Idols of financial success, pleasure, and popularity so quickly replace the Lord for our attention. And in light of the perspective of eternity, they're all worthless. Oddly enough, after the Babylonian captivity, Israel moved away from idols of metal, stone, and wood, to the much more insidious 
and dangerous idol of wealth and greed. Wealth can be a blessing from the Lord, but it also can be an all-consuming desire and an idol. And we have to take all of our blessings and walk them out in humility, generosity, and holiness. Okay, so there we are. Holiness code and its its beginnings. And so uh, we'll pick it up at verse 5. And I'll read again, just 5 to 18, and try and do our best to um, uh, get through that. Okay? I'm reading from an ESV. When you offer a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord, you shall offer it so that you may be accepted. It shall be eaten the same day you offer it or on the day after, and anything left over until the third day shall be burned up with fire. If it is eaten at all on the third day, it is tainted, and it will not be accepted, and everyone who eats it shall bear his iniquity, because he has profaned what is holy to the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from his people. Now when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field, Right up to its edge, and neither shall you gather the gleanings under your harvest after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, and neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Shall not steal, shall not deal falsely, you shall not lie to one another, shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of the Lord, name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. Uh, you shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. And you shall not take vengeance or bear grudges against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. All right. It's going to be our. Our task today, tonight, to try and unpack some of those teachings. All right. Peace offerings. When you offer us a peace offering to the Lord, you'll offer it so that it may be accepted. Now, we've had this, um, these peace offerings before in the, previous, um, in, the, in the previous book of Leviticus. And oddly enough, when it comes to this chapter, that's the only offering that we talk about. Um, is these peace offerings. So peace offering has something to do with, with this uh, particular uh, aspect of the holiness code. Um, uh, uh, peace offerings have, have multiple levels of meaning. Can anyone remember what that was? I think Mordecai, you would know because we talk about it <laughs> quite a bit when we meet you. Well, the peace offering is basically that increases the peace in the world and also increases the peace between us and God, it basically helps us to come closer to him. For the peace offering, you don't need a reason to offer him a peace offering. So you just bring it, 
in order to have peace with him, in order to please him. And what do you do with that peace offering afterwards? The remaining parts will be eaten with you and your friends. And through that festival, you also increase peace between you and also other people. That's why it's called the peace offering. It's like mutual peace and mutual blessings going on. Moti, sorry to interrupt. Is that the same way that in the that in the wilderness, when they were asked to give freely jewels, etc., to to towards the temple, they gave freely that sort of thing? Yes, something similar things. Yeah, very similar things. You had the free will offering, a thanksgiving offering, and this thing called the peace offering, and the which is which is a a funky offering because it's not for sin. And it's, it's somehow we get to have a part to play in bringing peace to the world. You know, this sort of idea of blessed are the peacemakers. And you go, okay, well, you know, we'll pray for other people to bring peace. And we want, we want our leaders to bring peace. And someone bring peace to the Ukraine and, and all of those kinds of things. And the, the book of Leviticus is turning around saying, well, no, no, hang on. Everybody's got, got a part to play in bringing peace. Yeah, and somehow, you have, even if it's a tiny little bit, how, how could it possibly be that some guy wandering around in the desert could actually make peace in the world? Um, and, uh, and yet it does. That We, have, we are sometimes never know the effects that, of the actions that we have uh, and the ramifications that that plays out throughout history. A little bit of kindness, a little bit of love, a smile in the right direction a kind conversation that changed a heart that into the right way ended up allowing them to achieve and do great things. We will, we will probably never know those effects uh, until we're one day in heaven and the angels come up and they say, I got a story for you. Sit down, grab a cup of coffee. You won't believe what happened when you did this. Okay. We watched from heaven. But uh, so there's this, there is this idea of, um, of how important these are. So, there's this uh, concept of the peace offering. There's a, it's all part of being holy and, and making uh, and, and looking like the Lord. And uh, as, as Mordecai says, it's a great offering. You get to eat it with your family. You get to eat it with your friends. Uh, you create a little piece of peace in the earth. And um, it's, a, it's a happy festival. Uh, and you get to consume it. Interestingly, you get this three-day limit. Uh, not 100% sure why. Um, the text doesn't say, and I haven't really seen um, good commentaries, but it is important, the three days. Three days appears in many, many um, other parts of the Bible. And, of course, you could almost say we would all jump to um, the resurrection. Sure, why not? Um, because that's a three. But uh, the, the text here is, is, is clear. You can eat, celebrate, and enjoy the, the fellowship of the Lord for up to up to three days after that then um you uh you have to burn it up and if you continue eating then it's not accepted right? so there is this idea of um when you approach the lord you can't come to god any way you like we actually have to approach him on his terms and we approach him with praise we approach him with thanksgiving we approach him with fellowship, and we approach him with a gift. And, uh, and that same theology actually is also in the New Testament, that, you know, um, coming into a house of worship, is, you just don't go to church the way you feel like it. 
there is a you're approaching a holy god and that includes um bringing bringing gifts well it actually applies to us uh, to to this very day because let's say you want to be friends with somebody you cannot just ask them to be your friend you cannot just approach to them as the way you want to you know there are things that you have to do there are things that you have to approach uh in a certain way that will please her or him you know yeah uh, right and this is usually a reaction whenever we meet and engage with people there's a reaction when someone comes and talks to us we have a reaction so when we go and talk to god there's also a reaction you probably should uh, uh remember that too andrew south africa you've got a hand raised okay just on a on a three day issue again uh, is there a jewish teaching that after three days the body would be utterly completely dead unresurrectable um and and perhaps that's why with jesus was slow to respond to go and heal lazarus uh perhaps his major healing um or major re- bringing the biggest uh, event in terms of bringing people back to life because lazarus was properly dead after three days his body was starting to decompose etc correct the jewish tradition is that the spirit can remain uh, around the body for up to up to 3 days yep and there's uh, jewish graves have the little window for the soul to leave and go to the nether nether world and um and you're right it was very deliberate of yeshua to make sure that he showed up at lazarus tomb on day 4 so that people go absolutely no way this guy's coming back um it's could it could be it could be that because of this 3 day issue that we can continue to consume the animal and fellowship but after the 3rd day that's it you're right it's the we've now gone into corruption and and god can't be around death right that that yeah. all right rodi you're up thank you about the uh the 3 day thing you know most most of them god provides for shabbat regardless of who it is that's doing them especially if, you know that's why we sing the song shalom aleichem and we're asking the angels to come and bless the house and we thank them if our house is, is set up for a table where there's bread there's meat there's vegetables there's wine and then of course we have the other end where the angels come home and there's no diapers on the babies there's not even water or olive bread so that that song shalom aleichem is about this type of uh, idea but when you do a shabbat meal and you have people over Sometimes the food is so good, you may want to have a tendency to hold some back so you can have some the next day or maybe next week for uh, for work. And so a, a level of greed factor comes into play. At least I have found that for myself. I go, you know what? If we hang on to some of this, then we can use it uh, the, the fourth day, the fifth day, and we should use it. It's coming from God. It's His gift. and we can share freely and endlessly until it's all gone. So that's just another level for people to consider. Only because I am here. Yep, thanks Rodi, that's great. Yep, the 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 generosity of God and his desire to share his love and and his blessings with us should reflect back in the way we behave if we're going to be holy like him. So we need to when we're sharing with other people, we don't withhold anything back. We share everything. we share our homes we share our food we give them our best 
Um, and there's probably many verses and examples in the, in the New Testament that would also reflect that idea. But, but beyond that, in our lives, we have to make sure that when we're actually being generous, right, we've got to have that cheerfulness somehow. And, uh, and, 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 and remember that uh, it's actually Jesus's words. It's more blessed to give than to receive. So learning to have the, the sheer joy of being able to give. Vida or David, hand raised. Eric, can I share a possible shadow type yep. that I see in verses 5, 6, 7, and 8? Yep. It's to do with the Lord Jesus. We know if we, the three days of the resurrection, we know that. And if we take Lord Jesus was an example of us, in the sense we've got these 3,000 years, and early in the morning on the third, third thousandth year, we will be resurrected as well into our new bodies with the Lord. If we take that a day, it's a year, a year, thousand years. But I see this as Lord Jesus is that peace offering. Okay. And we have to eat his body in a sense, become part of his body for these 2,000 years, this time now. Okay. There's going to come a time when we cannot then say, oh, Lord Jesus, when he comes and say, I now believe. It's then it's an abomination. We have to do that whole process now through faith in Lord Jesus, if that makes sense. It That's does. I've actually never heard of Jesus as the peace offering. I mean, obviously, people say he's absolutely every offering in the entire. Uh, but as a reconciliation between sure. us and God. No, I get it. Yeah, no, the theology fits totally. <laughs> so that was my thought. Yeah, yeah, great. Um, staying in England, Teresa from London. Um, thank you. Um, on the peace offering, by the way, I when I was looking at that some time ago, I think that the peace offering, I mean, Motti will correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought that was offered in the afternoon sacrifices at the temple. And therefore, you could argue that it also when Jesus died, the sin offering and the peace offering were being offered. I've, I came across that when I was looking at stuff on the, I think it was the Temple Institute quite a few years ago. And the other thing is on giving, I mean, it's just a continuation of what we've been saying, but when we give to people, we shouldn't give, I mean, like with a friend or whatever, in order to get something back, either a gift back or, oh, you know, praise or aren't you a you know, good person or something like that. We give as part of relationship. Yes. And I think that's really important. And I say that, to, you know, if I get a friend who says, oh, I can't give you anything. And I say, look, it doesn't matter. Giving is part of relationship. And, and you know, you don't give to, in order to receive or to get a thank you or anything. Um, that, that was my point, really. Oh, that's a good point. Thanks, Teresa. And um, that's very interesting that the sin offerings and peace offerings uh, often get offered at the same time because that really lines up with what you were saying, Vida. Yeah. Awesome. Great. All right. Verse nine. This is now goes into um, uh, just a series of rules, laws, but at the heart of them, the spirit of the law is, um, is what we're looking for. Uh, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge and neither shall you gather the gleanings under your harvest. And you also won't strip your vineyard bare either, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Okay. Corners, edges, 
they seem really important to the Lord. <laughs> Why would that be? Well, we have some hands raised, but maybe we should, Andrew and Rabbi, Rabbi Shimshon Bar Yochai, so... Okay, so Andrew first from uh, South Africa. Oh, my gosh. Then Africa now gets to speak. Andrew, South Africa, and then Shimshon, Nigeria. Okay, it's, it wasn't a comment on verse 9 itself, but on the whole passage from 9, nine to 9, including 19, not just 18. Okay. Uh, referring to Jonathan Sachs, where he describes three codes in these verses. And, and I must say, I think we're approaching the climax, absolute climax of Leviticus in this passage. He describes three codes. First, uh, uh, the social code, which is the verses we're just getting into now, uh, and from nine to nine to seven, nine to 16. Uh, those are your, the, the, the social code. Then comes the moral code, verse 17 and 18. And then this strange verse, verse 19, which really speaks about keeping things separate. Um, so three different codes, and in the center of the, of the three is, is the moral code, uh, including love your neighbor as yourself. And to me, I think this is probably the, the climax of Leviticus, the climax of the Torah, perhaps. Um, that was the comment I wanted to make. So not comment on that, on that whole section rather than just on, on, on verse 9. Thanks. Lord Rabbi Sachs, Lord Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, uh, who was the rabbi of London, uh, chief rabbi of London, uh, wrote a commentary on Leviticus, um, which, which I have it on my bookshelf and I read it nearly every week and I can't remember the name of the title, but it's a great book. And, uh, and yeah, in that he does, uh, he breaks down um, the Leviticus into these three sections, social, moral, and then this interesting separation code which is all somehow related, but uh, yep, it's um, we're we're hitting the high point now. Thanks, Andrew. And he was the the PS uh, for your information. He was the chief rabbi of the United Kingdom. Oh, was the whole United Kingdom, not just London? Yes. Okay, excellent. Yes. Good on, good on him. It was the Orthodox community, though, for the Orthodox community. But they only it? accepted and recognized. Community. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. Now I always found him to be quite an erudite man. Um, I really enjoyed his articles in uh, the, the newspapers and his comments on whatever was going on in the world and his approach to, to Bible and into Jewish and Christian relations, which was also quite positive. Um, okay. Uh, Rabbi Shimshon from Nigeria. Yeah. Shalom, everyone. Uh, I just want to make a comment on the previous um, verse on the talking about the peace offering, the shalamin. Um, in the in the book of Leviticus, you see that um, we have three general offerings when it comes to Koban, and um, every other one is a subset of that. Um, we have the olah, then we have the shalamin, and we have the katet. That means we have the bond, the whole bond offering, the peace offering, and the um, the guilt offering. The guilt offering and the sin offering are technically the same thing. Um, then the peace offering, you have the thanksgiving offering as a subset of the peace offering. In fact, in some places, they consider the mincha, the daily grain offering, as also a peace offering. Then um, you have the ulam. Just to make that um, when you see so much, so much of um, 
um, the offerings being mentioned, actually, they're just a subset of one of these three. Okay. Thank you very much. So for those that uh, might not remember, the Ola is a burnt offering, the Shlamim peace offering, uh, Mincha uh, grain offerings are things you can also consume. And then the guilt offering and, and sin offering, uh, as Shimshon said, relate together and are for God. Um, yeah, I, mean to, I just wanted to answer to your question about this edges thing. We will actually, in the corner, you say it, right? Yep. So we will actually see in this chapter in verse 27 that God ask, will ask Israelites to not round off the corner of their head and you shall not destroy the edge of your beard. So you see, it's like all signs. Like I mean, there are different opinions on it. Some say that because it's like the, basically the tidying of the beard and hair, hair. And also in this case, in this verse, basically the tidying of the vineyard. And it still applies today in Israel, in the north. I think they were, we have talked about it. You see that there are signs uh, that you can take it the grapes and some other stuff and it actually makes that thing kosher so uh so they can sell it with the kosher sign if they don't do that they would not be able to sell it with the kosher sign because against the halakha yeah i I enjoy going around the golan where you come to a field and the gate is completely open right all the barbed wire that normally separates you and then there's a big sign that says that you can glean between the following hours you know which is most of the day, <laughs> I'm not quite sure why they even bother, but it's like most, it's most of the day. And you just walk in with a bucket and you can take whatever, whatever you need. And I, I find that um, uh, a very living, practical way. We saw Yeshua and his disciples doing the same thing. Yeah, they do. This actually sets up a lot that we see in the Bible. Obviously, Ruth's first, Ruth and Boaz. Yeshua and his disciples, they were walking in the field and they were gleaning. And um, it, it was recorded there. Of course, it wasn't their farm they were gleaning from. So we can understand that this law is very applicable during the time of Yeshua. Yep. And I, I like the way God turns around to a farmer and says, it's great that you have a farm. Absolutely fantastic. You know, grow, grow lots. Oh, by the way, I provide the sun and the water. So, you know, that's, that's, uh, it's not just you. Um, but, uh, but I really like the poor guy just as much as I like you. And um, he doesn't have a farm and he doesn't have access to all the stuff you have, but I love him just as much as you. So I want him to be able to come onto your house, into your property and take your stuff for free. And you're not going to do a thing about it. No, I, it's this, uh, this idea of, of uh, the, the love that God has for absolutely all of his creation. And that includes uh, the poor. So as, as Mordecai says, it's like a tithe. It's like you're building in, even within the field, a, um, uh, a tithe to, to the poor. Right. Um, and that just demonstrates, I think, the heart of the Lord right there, that, uh, that, that God's heart is rich or poor. Uh, he wants everyone to be able to be taken care of. He loves them all. And if that's his heart, then we have to have exactly the same heart. Sometimes we, we, have, we all do it. We have a tendency to favor those who are a bit more wealthy in our communities. Uh, we're told not to, in, even in the New Testament, quite directly, don't show favoritism this way, uh, um, but what we do. But we, we, should, we should look at this holiness 
uh, here and realize this is God's heart and, and we have to have um, the same heart as him, David Butterfield or Vida. Just to say, Erin, that yes, exactly what you're saying, I agree thousand percent with what you're saying. We have to have God's heart. But what I love about God is he's actually a rewarder when you obey his laws and you do those things. So he blesses when you do that. It's actually just to so that you can be in line for receiving the blessing because God, if you give, God actually pours down abundantly back to you. And we don't do it so that we can get from God. Obviously, we do it with the right heart. But God is just so faithful that he wants us to do these things with love and generosity because as he pours to us, we should be pouring out to others as well. But it's, it's also written in the NT that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I 100% agree. One, we can't outgive God. Two, we, ha- we should have exactly the same generosity that the Lord has. And three, he will always uh, reward. There was, none of us are going to be able to go to heaven and say, I gave more than you, Lord. That's just not going to happen. Um, rather, he's going to turn around and say, so uh, who gave me water when I was thirsty? Who gave me food when I was hungry? Who was, who was generous? Yeah. Okay, Janet, Canada. It, it, it sort of speaks, if everything's contained in a society and, and, and kept, there's almost a way in which people who are poor could be forced to steal. Right. You know, it's like God's setting up a society where, where there's a lot. People aren't forced into that situation. Um, there's, a, there's a proverb that says that. Um, yeah. You'll have to help me find it. But it says, um, Lord, don't make me rich that I forget your name and don't make me poor that I steal and therefore profane your name. Exactly. And, and it shows a, it shows a trust. I mean, it's not when that trust is there, then people aren't perhaps inclined to come in and take more, you know, just sort of come in the night and start, you know, <laughs> taking everything when they know that they're going to have enough. And, um, I don't know. It's about relationship too. It's about the relationship between the, you could say the rich and the poor, um, not, not that you divide up the land and give everybody, you know, not like sort of communism or socialism where you give everybody the same amount. But it's sort of the idea that some people are more capable of, of doing the producing of things, and the, you know, and, and, and so that those aren't for whatever reasons, maybe not, maybe just something that's happened in life and they don't have that, um, they're, they're cared for. And I, I, I don't know, I just really like it. And I have this sort of feeling that lines, lines define, you know, when lines intersect, they're defining something. And God's saying, I'm not, I'm not defining the land in a certain way. I don't know if that makes sense, but um, there's, there's something, uh, there's something that's not, he's not, he's, he doesn't want things contained. You know, the, the earth is the Lord's and all that's in it, as you said. So it, it, it's all about stewardship as well. You're stewarding what God has given you. That's what you just said is a, is a phrase which we all believe, but we all find hard to actually put into practice. We're just stewarding what God has given us. So that means the very house you and I are all sitting in talking to each other. And they go, okay, 
So this is uh, how do I steward this for the poor? Does that mean I, I open up the front door and walk out and say, you uh, probably should come in? You know, I probably should say that. Um, we don't often do that. But, but, but trying to have the heart of the Lord is our quest. I'm not going to say it's easy. I'm not going to say we're going to get it right 100% of the time. But, um, but, but turning around and saying um, what I have, I will share. And the Lord, if he can see that in your heart, you know, he, can, he will give you more so that you can share more. Even Paul says it in, um, it's in Ephesians where Paul says to the thief, stop stealing. Okay, great, good, stop stealing, thou shalt not steal. But the sentence continues, get a job so you have something to share. And like, wow, what a, he's got the, the same attitude, have something to share. It's a blessing. And I, I like this passage, verse 10 in particular, because it says, you know, this is uh, uh, your vineyards, don't, don't harvest everything. Leave something for the poor, like la'ani, and lager, and to the stranger. Like, well, who, who is that? You know? And then, of course, there are some interpretations that say, well, that's um, the Jewish stranger. And other interpretations will say, actually, it's any stranger, anyone who happens to be wandering in the land, in your area. Uh, and, that, and that's a nice way where we see uh, God cares for the Gentiles as well. All right, Teresa. Um, that, yes, and this principle is reiterated, isn't it, in Deuteronomy 24, 24.19. The same uh, text of, of, of that? The... Well, reaping, when you reap your harvest in your field and you forget a bundle in the field, you should not turn back to take it. It shall be for the proselyte. The, the orphan and the widow, and then it talks about the olive tree, etc., and the harvest. You know the the, the edges. So it's the same thing, isn't it? Yeah. When Moses, as we we did Deuteronomy uh, a couple of years ago, yeah. When Moses was getting his people ready for the land, he reiterated this, and this was one of those laws that he just had to make sure we 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 got home. That uh, you will share uh, everything you home. Your stewardship will reflect God's God's heart. And the other point I wanted to make, Aaron, is that, you know, this stewarding thing is quite challenging because, you know, we're so taken up with modern technology and we think, oh, should I have the most advanced iPhone or, or whatever it is? And, oh, what car shall I have? Shall I have a big one? And, and I try, not that I buy cars very often uh, and my iPhone's old, but I do try and think, oh, can I justify this before the Lord? And it's hard. It's hard to know where the level is as well in, in doing that. But I think it's so easy for us to forget that and just, oh, well, if I have the money, or well, let's, well, if I don't have the money, sometimes it's also let me, let me spend it and do it. So. And, and, and it's, a, it's a steep learning curve sometimes when you have something and it gets taken away. Uh, for me, I had a van. Um, I have I've lived in this country for 22 years. I don't normally have vehicles, but I, I, I had one for about three years. It was a nine-seater VW, huge thing. I mean, it had a huge back space. I could put all kinds of stuff in it. And I used it to help everybody. If you were moving house, I showed up and we filled the van with your stuff and we moved it. I, I picked people up at the airport. I dropped them off. I took them on field trips. Um, I did everything. And uh, just as COVID was starting, there was a German volunteer who needed to get on the last plane out of Israel back to Germany. You know, we're all panicking. No one knew what was going on. 
So I drove her to the airport. I had a car, drove her to the airport. I'll take you to the airport. Let's go right now. And I dropped her off, no problem. On the way back up the hill to Jerusalem, my transmission blew up. And it was too expensive to fix. It's going to cost 14,000 shekels. There's no way I had that kind of money. So I had to trash the car. And uh, being a foreigner, I wasn't allowed to sell the car to anybody. I literally had to destroy it. Now, Pedro from Beta Manuals had this problem as well. A big truck comes along. They give you a white piece of paper that, you, that tells everybody that your car is no longer, it's gone off the road. They take it away and they literally will crush it up. And I was like, no, the windows are fine. The tires are great. What are you doing? There's large chunks of this car. Me and God had a few conversations, okay, for several weeks as to why did you take that car away from me? <laughs> um, and, but it's the thing. When we have it, we should share it. And we really should. But it might go away. And if it does, you know, we have to have this, we have to have this eternal perspective of, of, of life. That at the end of the day, um, when, we, when, we, when we meet the Lord, I probably won't remember that car. Although I did learn a lot about myself and about uh, uh, the, the spirit of generosity. And maybe one day the Lord will bless me again and, and I can share a vehicle. But for now, it's, it's the way it is. Um, but we should, if we have something, we should share it. And as you said, Teresa, stewardship, yeah, it can be challenging. But it's an incredible journey. And again, we're on this together. We get to help each other along the way. Okay. Um, so we should look after the poor, the strangers, the widows, the orphans, share with what we have. And we all have something. Uh, 11. So here's something we shouldn't do. Take other people's stuff. Right? You shall not steal. Obviously, one of the big 10. And it's linked here with dealing falsely, lying to each other. And so what's the connection between stealing, dealing falsely, and lying to one another? All kinds of thefts are involved there. Exactly the same thing, you know, the same, same, same uh, effect that has on the life of the community. Yes, and it's linked again to the next sentence. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of the Lord. So there is a way to profane the name of the Lord through our actions of stealing, lying, profaning God. If you and I say to the world, I'm a follower of, of Jesus, but then we do something that takes his name through the mud, it has, a, it has an effect. And, um, and so we do have to be very careful when we, tell, when we tell everyone, I follow the Lord. Good, because now you're a witness. Now you're actually on display. And um, uh, I have to say, and I've said this before, but I'll say it again. Um, I, I happen to think that being a believer in uh, a witness for, for the Messiah is actually easier in this country than it probably is in yours. Now, why is that? Is because I'm actually in the minority. Okay? Most people who live in this country are Jewish. And then there's this small group of uh, uh, 20, 20% uh, uh, Arab people, Muslim. But us Christians, we're really tiny. And so when I leave my front door, everybody knows that I'm not Jewish and I'm not a Muslim. So therefore, I must be a Christian. They just know it. I'm automatically labeled Christian. Whether I actually believe anything or not is irrelevant. They know I'm a, I'm a Christian. 
So therefore, everything that I do displays what Christians believe. And um, so that's a great, automatically when I leave my front door, I know I'm going to be a witness. But when I come and visit uh, my friend Teresa in London, well, um, I hop off the plane and dang it, I look like just everybody else. <laughs> it is really hard to, to, to prove to people that I'm a follower of Jesus because I look like everybody. And so actually, Teresa's actually got to work harder than I do. <laughs> You know, uh, I just got to leave the front door. Uh, Linda from Scotland, you got to work harder than I do to to show people that uh, we're the Messiah. And um, well, there you go. That's part of our part of our journey is uh, to to or to live out our faith and not profane the name of the Lord our God. Uh, David. Yes, Aaron. I was just following from what you're saying. Uh, surely, somehow in this, then. As you say, we become one of a number. Surely, somehow, we need to be vocal in this. It's. Uh, I was just. I'm just curious as, as to what you're saying there, because as you say in Israel, you, you kind of have a a, a a Lord provided witness for yourself. But here, for example, in the UK and Europe, etc., it's it's there is no sort of a, a witness. But but perhaps it it, it comes to the vocal thing. So. Uh, because you see, you see, now we're in a situation here. We're reading all these laws about gleaning, not cursing, not uh, defrauding, and everything like that. And it's it's how in this country can you actually portray that and show that? It's, I'm I'm not asking for an answer. I'm just saying it's a very difficult thing. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. That's that's the challenge. Um, when when we when the when the church looks like the world, that's hard. When it doesn't look like the world, it's a lot easier. And, um, and so, so the challenge is for all of us. Most of the people who are going to be listening to us uh, discuss this are going to be living in, in countries where the church looks like the world. And it's, it's, it, the struggle is how do we make sure we are, we are different? Because we're supposed to be a holy people. We're supposed to reflect these things. Um, and anyway, if the challenges are, I'm sure some of us have all got good stories of, of people recognizing the Messiah in us and the light, and I'm sure you can do it. Um, well, one thing, one thing we discover very quickly coming back here is you you have to get a little bit vocal, almost introduce yourself as a, as belonging to Lord Jesus, yeah. and that's how. Yeah, otherwise it's, it's you, you lose something. I think. Right. Yeah. I, one of my favorites was to walk around with a T-shirt. That just said um, one word for you atheists. Wrong. <laughs> I've got to get me that T-shirt. <laughs> so it's like, what what trouble can I get into now? <laughs> so yeah. anyway, maybe a bit too antagonistic. All right, Teresa. Yeah. I think um, Aaron, that certainly in my experience, what really matters is how we behave. For example, in our workplace. Okay. You know, years ago in one of my workplaces, I remember. You know, it, the, the general practice, which I participated in as well, was the pencils, you know, the odd pencil, the odd pad, pad, pad. Well, you know, that's part of the job, isn't it? So, you know, you, you'd collect pencils and, yeah. And I, I, I did, I have to, honest, I'm not saying I'm a goody two-shoes, certainly far from it, but I did realise that at some point later on and think, oh, mustn't do that. Yeah. So I think we're watched because we don't know how much they take in and what we do and um, remember that they know we're a Christian because somehow 
it always comes out. Well, it will come out if you talk to me, but, you know, I might not straight away say it, but it, it will come out. And I think it really is so, so important that we think about how we're coming over to people, not to pretend and play a game of falseness, but to actually show that our behaviour really does live up to what we're believing. And I think the problem over here, well, certainly... I can't say it's the gen generally for the UK, but I can say that just in my local area is really when people see things like the abuse in the different denominations and all those dreadful things that have gone on and the variable belief systems that there are at the moment, shall we say, without going into any detail, you know, that then shows us as a bit of a shower and not clear on what we believe and not not our behavior not living up to what is preached yeah and and our inability for self-correction within the body is we we sometimes let our behaviors slide and yet we, we should be saying hey i'm not 100 sure that that honors god um maybe, maybe we should do something different um don't swear by my name falsely what's uh what's a, a, a famous teaching by yeshua on how we should use our tongue? Never swear. Yeah, that's right. Yes be yes, no be no. No be no. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah here's, here's that hard hard thing. Always speak the truth. Ugh, dang it. Well, well, in, I mean, 2,000 years after, nothing has changed in Israel. You know, how they start <laughs> with 200 and end up in 10 shekels. So. All right. Okay. Uh, you shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. And there's a few few rules here that are are interlinked okay don't oppress your neighbor or rob him it's a, how does that differ from stealing well it's in, in relation to the wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning okay so here you have a uh, uh a part of the society uh, the working staff and how they are meant to be treated um is this is this a literal law wages have to be paid every single day um, is that, does that actually happen? Well, let me say something about it. So I, when I was in Germany, it happened, and a Jewish uh, guy sued his boss for not paying him at the end of the day. So they had a bet in a religious court. Basically, this uh, verse doesn't mean that they have to pay at the end of every single day. But if, they, if that guy is hired for one day, that means basically you have to pay him at the end of the day because he was hired for a day. But if you are just a full-time worker and you receive salary, it's totally okay. So, yeah, yeah, I was going to say because we we all get paid it every every month. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah, it's confusing, isn't it? Isn't it the same as if we hold back in paying a bill, for example? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the idea of keeping short accounts is a good one. Yeah. I think. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, but also just, just honoring uh, the people that we work with. So yes. honoring, honoring those that work for us, treating them with respect, yeah. honor, dignity, um, understanding their needs if they need time off with family or et cetera, but also giving them the, 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 the correct uh, service. And perhaps even if we can be a little bit generous, not always we can be because of certain laws and things, might not be our money to give them, but also the the, the debtors, the creditors. You know, if we're going to be hire, buying stuff from people, pay up. Don't uh, don't try and 
uh, steal anything. Um, that's what we use banks for, okay? You know, uh, always find that very funny. You know, I send somebody money, the bank takes it immediately out of my account, and then it proceeds to wait three days before giving it to you. Yeah. And, and you go, now, how does that work? What are they doing with it? Well, they're using it <laughs> on the short-term money market. They're making lots. The, the, answer to that, the answer to that, Aaron, is render unto Caesar what is Caesar, unto God what is God. Yeah. yeah. Maybe I, I'm just being flippant. No, but it probably is something like that as well. Yeah. But uh, here, one of the things that God wants to do is just to make sure you take care of the people that work for you diligently, particularly if they're not believers. Yep. Yeah. I mean, if we are hiring non-believers, then we have to make sure that we're we're a, a light to the nations, and because uh, they'll there's a potential that they might be expecting to get ripped off, and uh, because that's what just happens in the world. But we were not allowed to be like that. Uh, being holy means we're apart, means we're separate. We're still in the world. We're not going to be bound by any of their rules or any of their tricks or traps. We're actually going to look like the, the way the Lord does, who was also separate from the world, but heavily involved in it. Doesn't mean you leave it alone. Um, doesn't mean we run and sit under a tree and wait for the rapture. We're in this, uh, in this mess, getting dirty, but, but squeaky clean at the same time. All right. Uh, now we're taking care of those that have uh, physical disabilities. Um, you will not curse the deaf and you won't put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. And that's an interesting way that this, this uh, command finishes. The deaf and the blind. Okay. So when, uh, when, we, when we think of uh, these physical defects of being deaf or blind, um, what are some of the possibilities? How did they get deaf or blind? What do you mean? Well, remember, uh, in the late Second Temple period, New Testament times, they're um, walking along, Jesus and his disciples, and they see a guy born blind. And what is the, what is the comment on the disciples' lips? They said because of his sin. Right. But Jesus answers it very wisely by saying not because of his sins or his father's sins, but the glory of God. Yeah. Excellent. Yep. So, there, so the text here is you will not curse the deaf and you won't put a stumbling block before the blind. Okay, that sounds good. But you'll fear the Lord. Now, why would I be in, a, uh, in fear of the Lord uh, over the deaf and the blind? One possibility was that they had actually done something that they were actually getting punished by. So leave them alone because you're interfering with what God is doing. That was one stream of exegesis. Not saying it's the right one because that stream continued all the way into the, 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 the time of Yeshua where the disciples say, what did the guy do or what did his parents do? Now, what was the punishment involved in this, this abnormality? And, uh, and, and, and Yeshua answered correctly saying, guys, what are you talking about? You've missed the point. <laughs> um, the, the, uh, we, have, we have the deaf and the, and, and the blind, and um, that's obviously no, it's, a, it's an abnormality. It's not meant to be the way creation was. We're not meant to be blind and we're not meant to be deaf. We have ears, they're meant to work. We have eyes, they're meant to see. And, uh, but we're in a world that is suffering from a curse. And so these things occur. 
where things don't work the way they're supposed to. Okay, eventually our bodies degrade. Okay, and sometimes they degrade a little earlier than than we would like. So, what's part of the messianic plan? What's one of the tasks of the Messiah? Isaiah, but the deaf hear and the blind. It's from Isaiah nine or forty or something. Or it's to, it's to fix the things that are wrong. It's to fix creation. It's to go okay. Something happened. These things are now part of our world. They're not meant to be there. So when Messiah comes, he's going to fix it. The eyes of the blind will open and the ears of the deaf will, will, will be unstopped and it'll all be back the way it's meant to be, the way eyes will work the way they're supposed to, ears will work the way they're supposed to. Roddy, you've got a, a hand? Yeah, restoration there. Sir? Restoration. Yes. They're, they're one of the, the – yes. Restoration comes in many forms. Not only are we restored to nationhood, land, temple, people, God, spirit, but also every aspect of um, family life uh, and, and, and just even and bodily function. All right. So here's the, Aaron, you taught me this. So everyone who's listening, think back to King David and uh, Joab. Joab, they're about to attack. The city of David that we call today, it would have been the Jebusite city, and they laughed at King David. They said that the lame and the blind, the lame and the blind, can defend the city. Yeah. What? What? A thousand years later, what are the only two recorded miracles in the city of Jerusalem that Yeshua does? He heals the crippled man, and then he puts the mud on the blind man, sends him to the pool of Shiloh. He heals the lame and the blind when King David was laughed at that the lame and the blind can defend the city. Yeah. Beginnings and ends in Jewish theology, they're, they're always interlinked. And, uh, and the challenge to the, king, to, the, to, the, to the King David, a descendant of David, came through, fixed it all up. It's kind of good like that. Thanks, Roddy. Thanks for reminding me, man. Another aspect, though, to the lame and the blind, and this is just from a basic point of view, is that they are the most vulnerable in okay. society. And if you're a person who does not treat them well, how are you going to manage to get through society in general? Um, it's an interesting phenomena, but being in the um, education system, uh, people with handicaps generally are not well treated by other kids and so it's um it seems to be a malady that is part of human nature that we don't always treat those most vulnerable um as well as we should yeah yeah do you think they're only talking about the physical blind and deaf or do you think it's a also like a spiritual thing too here no no they're talking about the physical blind and dead and i'd like to say something about it uh, <clears throat> In Exodus 22, it says, do not curse among your people. So I think there are, I mean, not only I think, but there are other rabbis think that something might have happened in the past. So then in this chapter, God had to say it again, because maybe at that time, the deaf and the blind people wasn't considered as like, as important as the other people were. So then like, oh, is that even a human? You know, like. That I can curse him. It doesn't say do not curse him. And then I think they had to add this part to the commandment by saying you shouldn't swear uh, to defend, you know, you shouldn't put blocks for the blind people as well. But definitely physical blindness and deafness. 
Cool. The uh, treatment of the handicapped, Damaris, as you were mentioning, yeah, still exists in our society and may, may not be a part of, of our life. Um, anyone here follow American football? I follow. <laughs> okay. Um, I used to, especially when I lived uh, in Canada and America. Kind of had to. Um, there's a story. I will find the uh, name of the quarterback for you. Many of the players of the NFL are Christians, passionate Christians, not all of them, but there's a few high-profile ones. Um, he met a girl in, I don't know whether it was a waitress or something, and he kind of liked her and he was trying to chat her up. And he asked her out on a date and she said, yes, okay, we'll get together on you know Monday night or something. And uh, he goes, great, great, good. And then he, he goes to pick her up. But she starts to apologize. You know, I can't go out. I'm really sorry. I, I, he's like, why? What, what's wrong with me? And he says, no. She said, I've, I've got this, I've got a daughter, but uh, she's, she's a paraplegic. And I had, had, had asked for people to come and care for her, and they didn't come. So I, I, I can't go out with you. I've got to stay home. And this big, you know, footballer, I mean, these guys are massive tanks of humans. He just walked over to this girl who's, you know, lying in bed, picked her up and said, you're coming with me out to dinner. I'm taking the whole family. And uh, you see, okay, good. Those are the types of people, the heroes that we should, we should be where we overlook and, and, in fact, sometimes even go out of our way to make sure we do an extra act of kindness and uh, trusting that one day the Messiah will heal all of them. Okay, one day they'll all get their legs working. Their eyes will all be working again and their ears will work. And for those of us that have it all working, praise the Lord. Okay. All right. Injustice. Now, you shall do no injustice in court. Okay. I don't think there's a country in the planet that's ever read this rule. Okay. Um, it's a bit of a shame. Uh, you shall not be impartial to the poor. Again, the, uh, we, we must try to do our best not to take advantage of the poor. And in court, they can particularly be taken advantage of um, just, by the, just by the sheer cost of, of law courts these days. Um, but in righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor. This is a, a law um, from God. In, in relation to um, some of the teachings of the Messiah, uh, in terms of judging, is there anything that is reflective on his uh, desire for our holiness and the way we should behave. Um, I know we're told not to judge, lest we ourselves be judged. Um, but is there a, 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 some, some, some passages in the New Testament in relation to courts, in relation to the way that the Lord would, would have us actually behave towards our fellow men? Shimshon? Just to make a comment on the verse 15, you know, it's written in my translation. You shall not um, render an unfair decision. Do not favor the poor or show difference to the rich. Judge your kinsmen fairly. Um, sometimes we, we, we kind of um, trying to um, balance life. We kind of um, show difference to the poor. So now it first of all warns us that we should not show favor to the poor before he mentions that um, neither should we show difference to the rich, that even in circumstances, you know, um, at the time, I'm not trying to be a feminist, um, when Judge Kavanaugh was going to be sworn in during the time of um, 
um, Donald Trump, um, you know, there was a lot of statements that was so appalling on the, and they said, ah, you, you need to believe the woman. I mean, it's, it's not that it, it was wrong, but the way it was placed that, oh, you don't need to believe the man, you know. Yeah, I see it here because she, she's, she, she will be the vulnerable side. And so the people began to show favor to the poor in that, in that instance. And, and the Bible begins to warn us against such kind of things. Yes, she is in the, in, in the weaker side or things like that, but we should still be objective. We should not um, take sides, um, you know, either for the rich or for the poor. Because it's very easy for us to judge, you know, and you know, say, oh, the the the, the, the rich is um, hijacking the system because it's rich. At times, um, the poor also use um, some kind of um, blackmail, some emotional blackmail, to get away with a lot of things too. So um, the law is trying to balance things there. I think what we're trying to say is justice should be blind. Yes, yes, that is hard. Absolutely, she's one hundred percent right. And, but that it should be. We should try and be, um, uh, uh, justice should be blind. I like uh, Yeshua's, one of Yeshua's teaching, don't go to court in the first place, <laughs> right? You know, the sort of a stay out of it. It's so hard for justice to be blind. And so one of the best ways is to keep, to keep the, uh, uh, trying to solve our problems within our community. Uh, not always easy, but. Um, that's something that we should try and aspire to. Uh, David. Obvious. Yes, Aaron, I'm thinking, I was thinking about Luke 17, 3 and 4. I, I like the way these two verses go together. Actually, it's interesting to think about. It says, take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day and seven times in a day, turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. There seems to be a process here that if your brother has done something wrong, you need to make a point, not make a point, but say, listen, there's a problem here. And if he repents, there's forgiveness. But, and if he does not repent, where does that leave us? Yep. That's a good question. If they don't repent. Um, any ideas just on that topic? Can I make a suggestion? Yep. It's, I think Paul uh, goes to great lengths in saying that if there's an issue going on and the person does not repent, then you bring two witnesses and then three, and then you give him over to the devil to, so that he can come to his, to his, his senses and come back to you. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's not a practice we, that we, it's actually rarely seen, I think. Um, I'm sure some of us might be able to give examples of how we did that in our communities. Um, but. It, it, it is definitely there as a, as a practice. Um, I also find actually in, is it not this Sunday's readings, Sunday, you know, coming up, it's John 20, where after the resurrection, Yeshua goes into his disciples, he breathes the Holy Spirit on them, and then he gives this cryptic sentence, not cryptic, but it's a loaded sentence. Um, forgiveness. If you forgive others, their sins are forgiven. If you don't forgive, their sins are retained. You're like, what? Uh, since, since when did you get the power to forgive or whatever? But the, the, the tense of Greek, it's quite, quite interesting. It's a case of um, if you declare, declaring to people, you know, you, in the Messiah, your sins are forgiven. But if they don't want that, if they refuse, if they don't want to repent, then unfortunately the next saying is, but if you don't want the forgiveness, then guess what? Your sins are retained. 
you don't like that either, or you shouldn't. Um, and there is that very sad um, 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 conclusion. May I ask a question regarding that? So where it, it says that in that while we were yet sinners, the Lord died for us, right? So there has to be an action on our part to come forward and repent for that forgiveness to come into play. Yes. It, like, like everything in the Bible, there's a partnership. Yes. The covenants have a partnership. Even forgiveness has a partnership. Forgive me, Lord, as I forgive others. There's this sort of partnership model. There's this um, be holy because I'm holy. You be merciful because I'm merciful. Don't judge or you'll get judged. There's, there's a... Uh, there's, a, there's a lot in there where the Lord says, um, you know, be like me and, and it's okay, I'll be with you. Uh, be holy and I'll help. You know, but there's a, this partnership uh, model that, that comes in. Okay, Sharon and then Mordecai. Yeah, you are mentioning as some scriptures said there, Aaron, that James 2, 2 comes to mind with that okay. sin of partiality, you know, like that's really good thoughts. You guys are all sharing off them. Um, just that concept that, yeah, like, you know, you don't look down on the poor or just treating people differently, like anybody yeah. for any reason. That's been a really powerful example in my life the last couple of three weeks. It's been really cool to see and think about it because, wow, you don't realize how partial you are to one person over the other. And it's like, wow, I got to really work on not doing that. Yeah. <laughs> but also seeing it in other people's lives and how they are treating you partially. And exactly like you were saying, David, if, you know, if you, try to get somebody to forgive you or they don't forgive or they can't get over things, then you're stuck until they come around too sometimes. Right. So it's tricky. It is. Justice should be blind. We shouldn't show partiality at the same time, just because you're poor doesn't mean that you're not a sinner <laughs> and, or deserve, deserve justice, especially if you've been doing something inappropriate. So there's a lot there, but we have, we have to, 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 to do our best not to show partiality. We do it as a group. Um, it's not just on our own. Um, and this somehow has to reflect the Lord. Mordecai. So, yeah, first of all, uh, this applies to the judges, the first part of the verse. Okay. Because uh, in Deuteronomy 25, 16, we see that uh, injustice is an abomination to the Lord. So, first of all, it's about the judges, that they sh shouldn't. Uh, basically favor anybody. They should just judge people according to law, whatever it is, like the Torah or the secular law. And uh, about judging your fellow, it says basically you need to judge your fellow and, for example, give him the benefit of the doubt, it says. But it's, now we have a problem because in the New Testament it says you do not judge. So you, should, you will not judge. But here it says, judge your fellow with righteousness. So we can talk about it more. I don't want to just create a big uh, point here. But mm -hmm. there's something definitely different than uh, what the New Testament says. I mean, Yeshua says, or maybe the people of that time misunderstood it. But here in Hebrew, it says, basically, judge your fellow with righteousness when you judge. But it doesn't say you have to judge. And it's yeah. not like a mitzvah to just put the chair in front of Christchurch and just sit down and judge people. It says, but if you have to judge for any reason, judge them with righteousness. Correct. Yep. Love the tension. Rabbi Shimshon, are you able to unpack some of the tension there? Uh, yeah, <clears throat> very, very important um, um, concept that um, Modica just mentioned. Um, first of all, we, we are to judge. 
Um, so many places in the in the Torah, it's, it, it says that we, we, we should judge and because um, justice must be given. Now, when it was said that do not judge so that you two will not be judged, it was talking about um, in a situation that um, you look at somebody that is in witness uh, for a sin, um, for a sin that easily besets him and you condemn the person and you make the person feel that, oh, you're not Christian because you've just done this or, you know, you, 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 how could you do this because you're not a Christian? So you kind of condemn that person. So that, that is the kind of concept of judging. Um, Paul said that if there is a prophecy, we get two or three people to judge that prophecy to see if it's of the Lord. So it's something that um, we need to understand how, how the Bible puts it there. It's not contradictory. It's, um, it's just for us to understand what it's talking about. Correct. We need to understand context. Judges have to judge in criminal proceedings, and we have to do differentiation and discern the spirits. But I think what you're saying also is we're not to judge sinful activity as that's God's purview. We can, we can, we can remind people this is inappropriate, but we can't act like God in bringing sentence. All right, Teresa. Um, yeah, in <clears throat> quite a bit of my career was actually in human resources, and therefore many, many times I was involved in disciplinary hearings where the outcome could be dismissal. So the decision is really, really very critical for the person. But, you know, just giving it a practical context, which is not in a church, the pressure that sometimes you can come under, because I was the HR person, I wasn't the line management, but the pressure is to get, well, why didn't you dismiss him? You know, he should be dismissed. And you'd get a lot of pressure. And the decision, that, that was not necessarily the correct decision based on, the, you know, the information and the case that was argued or whatever. But I'm just pointing that out, that actually in the everyday part of our lives, and maybe we're not doing things like that, but certainly when I was doing that, um, yeah, it was really important to try and stick to one's principles. And, and you know, sometimes decisions were taken over my head that I could do nothing about. But it is really, a, it can be a very tough area, that one. Because all the politics comes in, in an organization. The more senior, the worse it is. Uh, yes. And what we're trying to learn here in this, uh, in this chapter is we as a holy people have to actually be above that, be separated and apart from that. That doesn't mean we're, we're not part of a business, that we're not part of a community. We have to be salt and light. But we have to make sure that we're, our actions are different, our love is different, our mercy is different. It's got to reflect uh, the Lord's and that call on our life. Um, it'll have an impact. My, it will. It will have an impact. People will notice because, it, because it's going to be other and uh, people always notice other. All right. Leader or David? Yes, Aaron, it's me again. Um, this is, this is a, a curious point on my behalf for a question, really. Uh, we're talking about this, we've been separated, uh, uh, and we're talking about judgment. And we're talking about, for example, the Lord is going to say to us, you know, uh, the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Don't be friends with mammon, but, you know, you know that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And it's like the Lord would separate us away from the idea of wealth or covetousness, right? And I was thinking of Luke 12, 14, and 15. And I was pondering this, and where it says, and this is Lord Jesus said unto him, this is about a guy who comes up to the Lord and says, Lord, 
tell my brother to divide my inheritance with me, right? Mm -hmm. And Lord Jesus says, man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And, and he said unto them, take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things that he possesses. So it's, it's as though the Lord withdraws from the idea of judging where it comes to mammon. Mm -hmm. And he yep. focuses in on the idea that, of the things of God. Does that make sense? Yes. And one of the things of God is the issue of coveting something that belongs to your neighbor. Yes. And, and I was just thinking that what the Lord is doing here in Leviticus is very much the things of God. Yes. Although totally, this is the heart of God where we're looking at these, you know, you treat everybody exactly the same poor rich when it comes to uh, the judicial system, you show no favoritism. You take care of the, of the deaf and the, and the, and the blind, those that have, have come about because of the fall. You take care of them. You don't uh, punish them uh, because of it. You know, these, this kind of people work for you. You treat them with absolute utmost respect. Uh, and and the, the, these are, this is really is the, the heart of the Lord and all the spirit of the law, as you might want to read it in Greek. Um, we're also in verse 16 told that we're not allowed to go around slandering among your people. This is gossip. This is Lashon Hara. Um, which shows up again several times in the New Testament where um, we're not to, to wander around as, as gossipers. That's really hard, particularly in the social media age. My gosh, we are constantly telling everybody what... It's so easy, actually, because you just press forward. <laughs> and, um, and, 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 and we have to be very careful. In, in, yeah, very careful. Um, and... It, because of the uh, the idea that um, and the example that, that that God gave Miriam in the desert, okay, the the whole idea of of speaking inappropriately, speaking some 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 gossip, and then which was true, but then ended up getting leprosy. It can be very destructive. It can be more destructive probably even than 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 the stealing. Uh, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. Um, what does that actually uh, mean um, in relation to, does this, does this go away from capital punishment? Because the other parts of the text actually do have capital punishment. Um, uh, but it, life is incredibly sacred, so we have to be incredibly careful when we, when we want to seek uh, uh, life from another person. That kind of stuff belongs to the Lord. Rabbi Shimshon? Yes, I'll just read from my translation. I put the verse 17. Um, is the JPS, the, um, uh, the Jewish publication um, service. It says, you shall not hit your king's folks in your heart. Reprove your kingsman, but incur no guilt because of him. Um, first, um, let me just comment on the speaking of... Um, against neighbors or against brothers. Um, people get so used to it because of, like you mentioned, in this age of social media, uh, because many of the discussions online are about people. It's not about concepts. It's not about um, we're trying to build something, but it's about people. And um, we should try to um, reduce or um, discourage people from discussing people with us. Um, because a lot of people, they, they, they see it's more like very entertaining when they have 
you know, to talk about somebody and, you know, and doing that, you begin to go deep into the person's personal life and begin to speak evil against that person. Um, I believe that um, if we consciously begin to note this ourselves, um, we will make the world a better place because you can easily be sucked into it because you get into a place and everybody's talking about this and you just want to come in and, you know, make your contribution, but actually you're just talking about somebody. If we can reduce that and begin to talk about solutions instead of talking about a particular person, then we reduce this um, speaking against neighbors. Yeah, some very good points there. The uh, One of our issues, yes, is we're so easily sucked in with talking about people and not about a concept or an issue. But, uh, and then, and then the, 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 yeah, it gets very personal. You should avoid that. The, we should not, I like uh, the verse 17, the one you just read. Shall not hate your brother in your heart. Uh, what stands out there, that, that's almost so obvious. Where does hatred actually come from? Well, from the heart. And um, what, are, what, are, what are some of the obvious uh, references that Yeshua talks about when, in relation to this? Well, he says, if you are bringing an offer to the altar and you, yet you hate your brother in your heart, you better go and fix it. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. And um, murder occurs in the heart. Lust occurs in the heart. You know, even stealing, covetous, that occurs in the heart from your eyes first before you even physically uh, take it. So we don't hate in our brother in our heart. We might not do anything. We might not physically steal. We might not physically fight. We might not physically um, commit adultery. But uh, this, this one is linked here. In, in, in there's actually a, a, you can incur a sin. Don't hate your brother in your heart. It's very hard, incredibly important for the Lord. But you shall reason frankly with your neighbor. Now, why would you do such a thing? Because you know he's done something wrong. And so if you don't, if we, if we actually see that our, that our brother has sinned, uh, if you see something that, that I've done wrong, then the right reproach is talk. But if we don't, we don't rebuke um, uh, uh, the, the, like Psalm, uh, Proverbs 27. I've just, I just picked it up. It says, open rebuke is better than love that is carefully concealed. Okay? That if we, if we, if we don't um, challenge a sin, then there's the potential that we also incur the sin. Okay. There's sort of a guilt by omission. Or as they say, in, uh, for those that follow, Anglican or traditional church confessions. You don't have to, but um, I happen to appreciate the confession that says, No, Lord, I'm standing before a holy God. I acknowledge the things I've done and I've acknowledged the evil, that, the good that I haven't done. So I know I've done things wrong, but I also know that there was a bunch of good things that I could have done. I was just too weak to do or too lazy. Or maybe I was just even too selfish. And, um, and that's just as bad. And so it's, it's linked here to do with the heart. We do have a, a, a responsibility, as uh, Jonathan Sachs would say, this is now the moral code that's coming in with vis-a-vis uh, -vis human relationships. I have a responsibility for you. You have a responsibility for me. We have a responsibility together uh, to correct each other, to re rebuke each other in love, uh, to challenge each other. This assists everyone to improve and be better holy, and the community becomes better and more holy. 
Okay. Um, okay. Damaris has a quote uh, in the chat. I better read it because it's, it's a pretty good one. They have a saying that great minds discuss ideas, average minds discuss events, and small minds discuss people. That's good in relation to the, the gossip. Excellent. Thank you very much. Um, and we are not to take revenge or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. This is in relation to um, uh, probably uh, some sort of criminal proceeding or um, that's actually left up to the appointed courts to deal with, which in this day was actually the priests. However, all of this gets summed up with that famous quote, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so there is this extension of, of uh, going beyond ourselves and our own selfish thoughts to saying, well, I desire the best for me, but truly I also have the desire the best for you. And, um, uh, and, and, and that as well at the same time. Okay, uh, notice the time. And uh, friends, we'll close our little discussion there. Thanks very much. I hope you all have a great Passover whatever you're doing, if you're going to celebrate. And uh, um, our little community will be off to the Dead Sea. Uh, hope, Mordecai, you get to really experience uh, our, 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 our Haggadah together. That would be great. And for Resurrection Sunday, friends, the whole point of the gospel is, is the resurrection. And if you don't have the resurrection, you don't have the gospel. So we get to celebrate redemption, exodus, the deliverance, which is movement. No, one's, no one gets out of Egypt and just stays still. No, you move to Mount Sinai. You move to, to seeing the Lord. And that's the same with resurrection. We don't, Jesus doesn't rise from the dead just so you and I can sit under a tree, right? We have to move together with the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening. Our sermons and Bible studies are on all your favorite podcasting platforms. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. Sermons can also be found on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook for alerts on live streams. If you are blessed by these teachings, please prayerfully consider giving toward the work of Christchurch. Visit ChristchurchJerusalem.org. Blessings from the City of the Great King. <laughs>